If you're confused right now and you're thinking, how did Pastor Paul get so short? (laughs) He had his last official Sunday last weekend. Don't forget that this coming Saturday, the 16th, we are celebrating all the ministry, all the years of ministry that he and Beth had here, so don't forget to come out. That is in the AUC Connect, so read about that. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Your word is good. Your word is applicable. And we pray, Lord, that we apply it. Help me, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit to preach your word. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to receive your word. We thank you for this time to gather together and worship you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we are opening the book of Acts this morning. There are several themes and ideas that run through the book. The main theme being the story of how God purposes to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ through his spirit-empowered church in order to reconcile to himself people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. As we study it, we're going to see themes of soteriology. We're going to be studying salvation. We're going to see ecclesiology, how the church is put together, how the church functions, what its purpose is. We're going to see Christology as we study Jesus Christ and who he is. We're going to even look at theology proper as we encounter the doctrine of the Trinity. This book is loaded on and on and on it goes. And so the question is, are we ready to face it and the challenges that it will bring us? This is not an academic exercise just to fill our heads with things to make ourselves feel good about our biblical knowledge. This is growing closer to God, growing closer as a body, living it out in our lives. The book of Acts is a historiographical historiographical work in both form and function. Luke wrote the book of Luke and Acts kind of together as, as a unit as an apologetic. Luke wanted us to be assured. He wanted us to be convinced of the truth of what has happened in history. Why would Luke write two books just to be sure that we are convinced of the truth of what happened around Jesus Christ in in his person and his works? Well, when we know something to be true, if it has been proven to us, if there is enough evidence surrounding the circumstances, then we tend to adjust our behavior accordingly, don't we? We tend to line ourselves up in what we say and do with that truth, right? Let me give you an example. I don't smoke. There have been enough studies around smoking, links to emphysema, pictures of tar in the lungs. It leads to cancer. There's just been, as you pile up the evidence, it's clear. I'm convinced And so, having understood this to be true, I adjust my behavior accordingly. I don't smoke. 
having understood this to be true, I even find myself to be an advocate of that truth. As I get to know somebody, if I know they smoke, I might tell them, look, those fire sticks, they might kill you, right? Because I want to protect you. Because I understood this to be true, it's affected my life and who I am and what I say and what I do. Now, if we don't adjust our behavior according to what we know to be true or, or what we've heard, we either don't believe it's true in our minds or in our hearts, we don't frankly care about the consequences. When we learn about something and we see the evidence, we, we either don't believe it's true if we don't change who we are or in our hearts, we don't care about the consequences. In the first five verses of the book of Acts, we're going to ask ourselves four questions. For those of you who like blanks, got your pen? Am I convinced? Am I confident? Am I convicted? Am I complete? We'll go back through those as, as we go along here. But go ahead and open up to the book of Acts if you haven't already. And we're going to start with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to do something with you this morning that I did in the last evening service. And I'm going to ask you to stand up for the reading of God's Word. Not right now. Um, let me explain it to you. I'll probably explain it in the next service as well. It, it's not an exercise in righteousness. It's not something we do to say, look how holy we are, and God, I've done something good, and therefore reward me. No, no, it's not, it's not that. It's not religion. What it is is it's an understanding. It's just a simple way to remind ourselves that this is not like picking up the adventures of Huck Finn. This is God's holy word, isn't it? It's a little different, isn't it? So we're just going to stand up for the reading of God's word. Go ahead and stand up now as I read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The reading of God's Word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and be seated. Are you convinced? As I had mentioned earlier, Luke wrote the book of books of Acts, book of Acts in conjunction with the book of Luke, the gospel that he wrote, for a purpose. This is not a fictional work. It's not just a good narrative or a nice story. This is a complete and thorough testimony as to what actually occurred, a witness to the historicity of Jesus Christ and everything that happened around him. We can't then open the book of Acts without looking at the introduction to the book of Luke. 
why don't you flip over to Luke, just the first four verses. The book of Luke, starting chapter 1, verse 1, says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Isn't that a great introduction? Luke says that he wrote a intentional account of all the things that have been accomplished, all the things that actually happened. He took eyewitness testimonies. He followed all things closely for some time. He didn't just jot down a few notes. He didn't just throw something together and go, oh, here, check this out, Theophilus. He wrote an orderly account. He compiled a historical document here for us, verse 4 of, of those verses that we just read, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That we, as well as Theophilus, would be convinced of the truth. Go back to the book of Acts. There, there's some evidence here in the book of Acts that he presents us with. Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Here in Acts, Jesus presented himself to the apostles alive after his suffering, after his death on the cross, after his burial in the tomb. He rose again. Some might say, yeah, yeah, right. Sure he did. Verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them how long? During 40 days. Now, one person seeing somebody one time on one day could be a bad sandwich, right? But 12 people seeing Jesus risen again over a period of 40 days, 12 people who stuck to their story for the rest of their lives, even though 11 of them were going to suffer horrible, horrific deaths. If you ever have a chance to read Fox's Book of Martyrs, read about the deaths that these men endured to stick to the story that Jesus Christ is risen and Jesus Christ is God himself in the flesh. Verse 4 says, And while staying with them, and while staying with them. That word for staying 
is literally to eat salt. While Jesus ate salt with them, while he dwelt with them, while he spent time eating with them, Jesus dwelt with them. He ate with them. He spent time with them. He was no passing vision. Hey, what what was that? You think that was Jesus? No. That was Jesus. He was right here eating with us, partaking, talking to us, teaching us. He was with us for 40 days. Luke said that he followed all things closely for some time. Perhaps as he was spending time with the different apostles, the apostle John told him about the time when Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Later, In the book of Acts, as we'll see in chapter 16, the narrative here changes. The tone of the narrative changes from the second person to first person perspective, which means Luke went from observing things to being right there and traveling with Paul for a time. And perhaps Paul recounted to him what he told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 8. He said, now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul ties the value of the gospel that we believe in to the proof of its historical truth, to the evidence of its actual occurrence. A little later on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. He ties the historicity of the gospel events to the value of the gospel events. Are you convinced? Do you see the historical biblical evidence? 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins and then rose again for your justification? The hope of everlasting life. Sometimes it can be easy to be convinced of something, but not necessarily comfortable with it. See, I can agree with you that Shakespeare was a great writer, a great author. I've read a couple of his plays, wonderful works. But please don't engage me in a deep conversation about Shakespeare's writings. I really don't know that much about him. I'll agree with you. I I, I think he's a great writer, but I wouldn't really want to engage you in a conversation about Shakespeare and his works. You may be convinced about Jesus, but are you confident with him? How well do you know him? How is your knowledge of your Savior? What happened when Jesus rose from the grave here in this passage? What did he do? Verse 3. Uh, yeah, verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus gave his disciples a 40-day crash course on the kingdom of God. He spent time with them, talking with them over meals, sharing in fellowship. And this topic, the kingdom of God, is the only thing that Luke mentions that he discussed with them. It must be significant then, shouldn't it? If that's what Jesus spent his last 40 days with the disciples talking to them about, it must be significant. How many of you have ever gone on a retreat? It's usually like a weekend, right? It usually has a theme, one particular topic that you go through. This was like a retreat, but for 40 days on one subject, the kingdom of God. Sounds mysterious, doesn't it? The kingdom of God of God. What is this kingdom of God? Uh, Simply put, it's that place and time where God reigns as king, where Jesus Christ reigns as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If we go through scripture and read references to the kingdom of God, we will begin to see that the gospel is the key to the kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. We'll see that the gospel is the kingdom's defining characteristic. It is the way in. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel and the kingdom cannot be separated. They are intertwined. There is no entry into the kingdom of God apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The two are inseparable. In teaching them about the kingdom, Jesus was reviewing with his disciples about the gospel message of what he had done on our behalf on that cross and in his resurrection. If if the gospel is that important to Christ, that that's the one thing he dealt with when he had that time with his disciples, then as a Christian, I'd better really know what the gospel is, shouldn't I? 
What is the gospel? Are you comfortable with it? Can you say it out loud? And, and not in Christianese, right? We can all probably say things like, do you believe in the blood sacrifice of the lamb upon the cross from your place and you will have everlasting life, right? Do you think that really touches the hearts of somebody at the Wawa who isn't interested in being at church this morning? Can we speak the gospel aloud and not necessarily in Christianese? We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but can we put it into words for somebody else to take it in and begin to understand what Jesus did for them? Here you go. Here's a life test for you. Turn to your neighbor. If you don't have a neighbor, just say it out loud to yourself. I'll give you 30 seconds. In 30 seconds or less, I want you to explain the gospel. I will time you. I'm dead serious. Go. All right, your 30 seconds is up. Was that easy? Was that, and you may want to ask your, your, your partner there, was that clear? Did they give it to you clearly? Okay. The disciples traveled with Jesus for three years. Then they had a 40-day retreat at which they just talked about the kingdom of God, the center of which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus unleashed them upon the world, he made sure that they were comfortable with the gospel message. Get to know the gospel. Become comfortable with it. Do something to make the gospel just second nature to who you are. Spend 40 days just devouring the Roman's road. Look it up online. Figure out what those verses are. Make it, make opportunities for yourself. Make opportunities to speak the gospel to one another with other Christians so you can be comfortable, right? You know if you mess up, they'll help you out. They love you. Just, just speak it to each other. Become confident with the stuff that you have become convinced of so that it can just be a part of who you are so that it just flows out of your mouth so that it becomes a part of how you speak as well as how you live. Once we are convinced and confident, I would hope that we would also be convicted, or at least convictable, if if that's a word. I'm not sure, but convictable. Are you convictable? There are two references here as to the nature of the relationship that Jesus shared with his disciples. Look with me at verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now look at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Did you notice the two important words there that define the relationship between Jesus and his disciples? 
In verse 2, he commands them. And in verse 4, he orders them. Jesus is a king. And he's not just a king. He is the king of all creation. See, we like having him as our savior, but are we convinced and confident enough to be convicted in our hearts and in our heads to be obedient to his words and ways? Yeah, I have that written down, so I'll say that one more time for you. We like having him as our savior. It's nice, isn't it? But are we convinced and confident enough to be convicted in our hearts and in our heads to be obedient to his words and ways. Are we ready to step out of our comfort zones should he present that? Are we ready to change something, anything in our lives, ways, or preferences when we are confronted by his word, by his orders, by his commands? Are we ready to become a part of his desire to see all people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to let go of our preferences for the sake of his kingdom mission? No matter their generation, cultural background, their past, their tattoos, their backward ball cap, their white hair, or their walker, we all need Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our final C. Are you complete? Start with me at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Are you complete? Is your walk with Christ a John the Baptist water baptism or a Holy Spirit baptism? Is your walk with Christ works-based or entirely dependent upon him and what he has done on your behalf? There are lots of people in this world that follow a works-based religion founded upon the name of Jesus Christ. We've got Catholicism all around us. You have to do the right things. And if you don't, you gotta, you have to do certain things in order to become right. And then you gotta spend time in purgatory and, and pay the price for your own sins. You gotta do, 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 right? Mormonism, again, is another works-based religion founded upon the name of Jesus Christ. They are the latter-day saints of Jesus, right? Works-based religion. Jesus gathers his disciples around him and tells them what they, that they needed to wait for the Holy Spirit. They were not yet quite complete. There was something missing. They were not quite ready to do the work that he was setting them apart for, and they needed to, to hold on. The baptism that they had received was a baptism of works. The baptism that John gave them was different from the baptism that Jesus was going to give them. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, acknowledging one's sin, but it was still apart from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in their place. 
It was still that baptism of works. You've got to do it. It prepared people to receive Christ by acknowledging their sinful condition, but the baptism did not save them. The mission upon which Jesus was setting them was not about what they were going to do for his kingdom, but about what he was going to do through them. His spirit at work in their lives and in the church body. The baptism that we give you here at Alden Union does not save you. It is good because it's an act of obedience to Christ. Matthew chapter 28, he tells us to go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is good because it's a symbol of your association with the death, burial, and resurrection of your Savior. But it is his death. It is his burial, and it is his resurrection in our place that saves us. It is not about works. It's apart from our own works that no one should boast before God or man except in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Do you have God's Spirit living within you? Have you been baptized in the Spirit of Christ? If you have acknowledged your sinful condition before a holy God, if you have understood that the wages of your sin is death, if you have accepted Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins in your place, if you have hope in his resurrection, you have his spirit and you are complete. For he has drawn you to this truth. And his spirit has opened your eyes to a saving knowledge of him. As a side note, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have not been baptized yet, let us know. Let it be an encouragement to your own walk to be baptized and to the church body as you make a public proclamation of your association with Jesus Christ through baptism. So, are you convinced? Do you understand and believe the evidence that has been presented to you about who Jesus is, and what he has done. If not, let's talk. Or grab one of the elders, or whoever brought you. Do we have elders here? Would you stand up if you're an elder? Oh, come on, there's got to be somebody willing to stand up somewhere. All right, there we go. There, grab one of those guys. Talk to them. Go ahead and sit down, guys. Thank you. Are you confident You know God's word. Do you know God's word? Have you spent enough time in it to be able to communicate its truths to others in ways that they can understand and not just with a bunch of of fancy Christian rhetoric? If not, get into a routine of devotionals. Join a Bible study. Get into God's word regularly. Practice speaking it with others that it just becomes conversational and no longer forced and and like, oh, I have to say something. It just comes out of you. Are you convicted? Are you ready to obey God's orders and commands, even if they mean you've got to do something different, even if they mean you've got to challenge yourself? If we aren't convicted to obedience, let's go back to steps one and two. Are we convinced and confident? Are you complete? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? 
If not, let's talk, grab an elder, pray something like this. Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I need Jesus' sacrifice in my place. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross in my place. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. There, in, in saying a prayer like that, there is no magic formula. But humble yourself before God. Recognize your sinful condition. God's word tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Praise be to God Almighty. If you are convinced, confident, convicted, and complete, be ready. Be ready for what the book of Acts is going to bring to us as a church family. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you. Help us, Lord, to be sure of the things that you have taught us. To understand that it is not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ that we would be humble before you and ready to pursue your commands and your orders, that we as a church family would shine here in Alden to the surrounding community. Lord God, we lift up praise for your word. We lift up praise to you, for you are God and we are not. And we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.